Welcome once again to another fantastic episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. We help business creators like you win at the game of business and marketing so you can thrive from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion and make a difference for your community, market, and audience. Please take a moment and visit our website, www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. You'll find hundreds of episodes covering a breadth and depth of topics relevant to you as a business creator and links to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. And now, here's today's episode. Let's get started. My name is Adam Homie, and I'm your host, and I'm honored once again by your wise decision to tune in and invest in yourself today. The Business Creators Radio Show goes into the field and takes you to those places where you have those mastermind meetings and aha moments that move you closer to serving from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion. We sometimes broadcast from public cafes. We sometimes do it from outside. I've done these from my balcony here in Las Vegas, here in the hottest city in America. And right now I'm in my sumptuous living room. And what we're going to be discussing is affiliate fraud how to combat affiliate fraud. And we're also going to get into the evolution of affiliate marketing and how it's defined today. And I have seen over the course of my nearly 20 years in online marketing, some dramatic changes in how affiliate marketing has worked. I've seen several deaths of affiliate marketing. I've seen people who used to rely heavily on affiliate marketing who don't even have affiliate programs anymore. I've also seen it go the other way. I've seen a lot of folks not get paid out for their referrals. It's quite a landscape. So I was very intrigued just to see where this is going. So when I heard from our prospective guest today about this whole topic of affiliate fraud, I thought, let's have her on here. and Let's delve into this a little bit. It's a little bit of a different topic than we normally cover, but I like to mix things up and I like to remind everybody that sometimes you find the answers to the questions you didn't even know you had in the places you never would have thought to look. So let's find out how we can transform your business today. And our guest is Kelly Ground. She's the Director of Strategy and Insights at Acceleration Partners, which is the premier global partner marketing agency that sets the standards for how brands efficiently grow and refine their marketing partnerships anywhere in the world. Her 15 plus years of affiliate marketing experience give her a unique perspective on how to provide strategic guidance and support to Acceleration Partners global affiliate program management teams. She's got quite a history, and I'm going to let her tell you about it. But first, let's bring her in. Kelly Ground, come on in. The weather's fine. (laughs) Thank you so much for having me, Adam. Um, It's great to be here today. Yeah, before we get into what, as I said, is a very unique subject that I'm bringing on as a combination of change of pace and an opportunity to take this show down roads we normally don't travel, what I like to do first is turn things over to you. I read off a portion of your official bio. I'm actually kind of resident, reticent, I can't even pronounce it because I'm so reticent, reticent to read the whole thing because it's so impressive. I'm not sure I'm worthy to be in your presence and I'm, and this is my show. So <laughs> let's have you tell us in your own words a bit about your journey and what's brought you to where you are today. 
serving business creators from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion. Yeah, thank you so much. So um, yes, I've been in the affiliate marketing space for well over 15 years. It's kind of interesting how I started in the space. Um, I live here in Tampa, Florida, um, which is, uh, you said you were talking about the hottest city. <laughs> we can go back and forth on weather one day. Um, but I actually uh, came into you know marketing communications, started there with trade shows, and I was always really um, interested in relationships and just uh, getting to know the vendors I worked with um, and everybody. Uh, then I was fortunate enough to work for Hunter Douglas Window Fashions, where I um, got to experience both digital marketing and um, offline marketing, where we worked with different resellers and we were able to do co-op advertising. And then that's when I entered really into the affiliate space when I joined um, a publisher that spe uh, specifically works in employee benefits. Um, so we had a marketplace where uh, companies would uh, work with us and we could deliver discounts to their employees. So, um, you know, if you have an intranet or some type of marketplace where you can get a discount on potentially an Apple product or, um, you know, tickets to Disney World, things like that. Um, so I was there and then um, then that led me to HSN, um, also known formerly known as Home Shopping Network. Um, so I was in-house. Um, I managed their affiliate and display programs for a little over seven and a half years. Um, and I learned a lot there. I mean, I had the benefit of working with um, so many amazing people. Uh, we uh, learned a lot about consumer behaviors. Um, you know, the TV shopping model is really interesting. Um, and I think uh, that helped me uh, set me up for where I am today. So over six years ago, I started at Acceleration Partners um, because I was fascinated uh, by um, everything that I read about with our founder, Robert Glazier. Um, I followed him on his Friday forwards and just the work that, that their agency was doing. So I came over here um, and I got to work with so many amazing brands, um, some of the biggest uh, brands um, you know, in the world. Um, and I get to sit on the agency side and really help them grow their uh, affiliate marketing or performance marketing uh, partnerships. Um, and from there, I started originally on the account side, uh, being a senior account manager led me uh, to an associate director role, but then I moved over to more of the centralized role where I really support uh, our account teams, um, you know, our marketing team, sales with strategy and insights because of my experience um, and kind of thinking outside the box, really looking at macroeconomics and kind of how we can take our clients programs to the next level. That is quite quite a story. And I was going to ask you about the evolution of affiliate marketing, but it seems like you've kind of been there for most of it. Yeah, yeah. So affiliate marketing, I mean, even since I started in the space, um, you know, it really started in the 90s. So um, even in the early 2000s, it has changed so much. And I know that you said from your experience, you remember affiliate, but uh, back in the day, you know, um, it was called the wild, wild west, you had the coupon sites, you had just blog posts out there monetizing content. Um, and then you had loyalty partners with toolbars. Um, but then I think there were a lot of shifts that occurred when Nexus Law started, and that happened in New York in 2008, um, where affiliate partners started to become um, considered sellers. And that's when I think we started to really see a lot more visibility into affiliate marketing. Um, and then from there, 
uh, we saw a shift uh, just overall, just with regulations and changes. Um, and that's kind of leading us to this affiliate fraud conversation. Um, but some of the earlier changes, even in the last 10 years, is you know we work with so many different affiliate networks. And here at Acceleration Partners, we work with all the networks, uh, the major players in the space. Um, you know, but 15 years ago, there was only maybe two or three, and now there's you know 10, 12, uh, you know networks, if not more, that you could work with globally, which I think is really interesting. So there's SaaS platforms where a lot of brands uh, work with um, those networks specifically because then they can create uh, their own KPIs, their own tools, their own rules to work with these partners. And then they hire, yeah. um, you know, acceleration partners, for example, to really manage that relationship. Um, but the goal for us is to really make sure we're on a paper performance model, which I think, um, you know, it's changed so much, uh, just the visibility that we've gotten. Even in the last year, I think what's interesting is um, Adobe Analytics uh, just reported like Cyber Monday uh, was the first time, at least in my experience, uh, affiliate marketing was the second top channel in the country. Paid search, uh, I think, was like at 28% and affiliate was at 18% of overall sales that day. And a lot of that is coming with the merger with influencer, social media, um, you know, we're all kind of joined together. And I think we're just seeing that uh, businesses overall, uh, CMOs, VPs are really starting to see the benefit of working on a CPA, you know, a cost per action with, you know, so many other channels seeing price increases, CPCs are going up. Um, so I think it's a really exciting time. And it's actually the first time I can say for next year in 2023, I really think it's going to be a really big year for affiliate marketing. Yeah. Well, and, you know, one of the things that I have experienced over my nearly 20 years in the online marketing space and various from various angles is the search for that elusive unicorn, the affiliate manager. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and, and what I, that often translates into is somebody is looking to find somebody and pay them outsourced virtual assistant money to create high level strategic partnerships. Whereas, candidly, without a firm such as yours, somebody who plays at your level, most of what you're going to get are the standard affiliate program where you have 40 people sign up to be affiliates. 38 of them are your friends who are just basically virtue signaling to show that they are there for you. And they, they want their affiliate link right now. Yep. <laughs> and then there'll be those two that you led into the program thinking, I don't know these people. I don't trust them. Why, why am I letting them in? And then they deliver 90% of your sales. Yes. Yeah, correct. I think it's, um, it's really interesting to kind of see, I think with kind of the last couple of years, especially kind of going back to the influencer model, social media, right? Everybody could be a creator now, um, which is great. I think that that's one of the reasons we're seeing such a big shift. But with that comes, you know, it's not as easy to partner with brands or brands to just go partner with whoever they want to partner with. Um, they want to make sure there's rules um, and regulations in place, and they want to make sure the traffic that the partner is driving to their site is qualified. So, you know, our goal is quality over quantity. You know, it's great to come in on a Monday after a big weekend and you see that traffic was up. I don't know, 50%, but then if your sales are only up 10%, you know, that's an issue. Like, why didn't they convert? 
Um, so that is why, you know, you want to find that unicorn affiliate manager to really be able to dig in. And that kind of goes back to the partnership aspect, the relationship aspect, where it requires more work than just looking at network reports. Um, you know, you could sit there all day in a tool and really figure out like what's going on. Sometimes you have to get on the phone or or Zoom, um, whatever you know platform you prefer to use, and really talk to the partner and really have an understanding of um, what type of traffic they're driving for you. Um, and then also when you have that relationship, those partners, you know, it's a win-win situation because they want you to convert because they're usually not getting credit until that sale is made. They're not getting cre credit on that traffic. Um, so it's really important for also the partner to make sure that they're working with brands that are qualified for them as well. Um, but I think it, it requires a different type of person um, to have these conversations, to be very direct uh, with partners. You know, when I was in-house, uh -huh. I had like a, um, you know, one of the tools that we had was um, like a scorecard or a PL at the publisher level. And I was able to have very transparent conversations with my partners where I could say, you know, I want to pay you more commission, but at the end of the day, you're driving um, you know, the, the gross profit that I'm getting from the sales that you're driving are actually like below our profitability line. Like we're losing money essentially working with you. Um, so we need to kind of figure out a different dynamic where we could work together or, you know, we need to drive more new customers. Uh, so that way it's worth kind of losing that money because I can get a new customer on my file. Um, so these are the types of conversations that we need to be having. And that's what makes, um, you know, it really important that if you are interested in, you know, running a successful affiliate program that you're working with, um, whether it's an agency or a network or, you know, someone that has a very uh, good understanding of how this works, um, because if not, it can lead to, um, you know, bots going to your site. Like there's, there's yeah. a bunch of different issues that can lead up to it. Um, and you know, your numbers are going to be extremely skewed. Uh, so when you have to report back to whoever you do with, uh, you know, this is the type of sales I drove, this is the traffic I drove, like, why is this happening? And then it can impact your other channels. Um, so like I said, it's, it's all kind of plays together, which I think is really interesting, but I definitely think to be an affiliate manager, it takes a special skill set um, and relationship, making relationships is a big piece of that. Well, uh, tell us a bit more about these tools and processes that can be put in place to ensure that, uh, quote unquote, traffic is qualified. Yeah. Uh, so we've come a long way um, in the last, uh, even the last five years, I would say, but let's just say five to 10 years. Uh, where uh, one of the biggest pieces is the networks that we work with. We have really good relationships with the network partners. And I will say that they came out and, um, you know, they wanted to make sure that the partners that were joining the network, that's kind of the bridge between the brand to the partner, um, that these partners are qualified, um, that they're not fraudulent, they're not just bots driving up traffic. Um, but still, there's there's still the possibility it can leak through, right? Like it's not perfect science. Um, but there's some new tools in place where we can, you know, we could put in filters in place where um, when we recruit new partners into the program, we go through individually and we look at every partner that applies to our clients' programs and we look at, um, you know, we click on their site, we look at their site, we look at like how they're going to 
market or how they're going to promote our client. Um, and then there are times too, where we reach out to them via email. Sometimes we set up a meeting to have a call. Um, we also look at what country they're from, um, because even if your program is just specific to the U.S., we have a lot of global partners that can still drive traffic um, to U.S. Uh, affiliate programs, but that can also lead to more fraudulent activity. Well, so, yeah, go ahead. I'm no, sorry, I was just saying, done. yeah, so that's that's a big piece of it. And then in addition to that, we just have additional uh processes in place, like internally here at Acceleration Partners, where we have people actually looking at the data coming through every day, you know, Monday through Friday, and just checking the type of traffic that we're seeing. And if we see a spike in traffic, immediately uh, reaching out to the partner and understanding like what happened. Um, and then sometimes it is fraud. And then what we can do, which is what's amazing with affiliate that does not get credit enough, but a lot of times you can reverse out um, those, you know, if it's a lead-based program, you can take that back. Um, so that's what's, you know, we call reversals. Um, if it's a CPA program, we can reverse out the sales to say like, this is fraudulent. We're not going to pay you out on it. You're still going to have that traffic that came to your site. Um, but I think the biggest goal for us is to also make sure that the money that our clients want us to spend, uh, we're sticking to those, you know, ROAS goals. Uh, so like this in 2021, Acceleration Partners, uh, drove you know twenty four million dollars in reversals for our clients. Now that's also from returns, but we gave all that money back to our clients in commissions, so they were able to reinvest it, whether it's an affiliate or another channel. Yeah, and you know I've been saying ever since I got involved in this that, and I think it's kind of fitting to bring this up here in a way. There's something that a lot of people who have businesses that promote and sell online have in your business. And, uh, and I say to all of our listeners, if you have this in your business, get rid of it. You don't need it and you don't want it. And what is that thing you got to get rid of? Traffic to your website. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, okay. Yeah, I think you're playing, I think you're, I think you're playing me here because usually I get stares. Like I just said, the, the earth is flat and uh, people asking me if I, actually have a brain in my head to say something like that but the point i make and i think i think you pick up immediately where i'm going with this is that it's i mean what is traffic and what is website traffic is the reason i live the laptop lifestyle i don't want to deal with traffic uh <laughs> website how do you define website I, I could go on and on and on i tested this theory i was speaking from stage at the ultimate speaker competition about I think about eight months ago, I had a, a sold out room in front of me and I brought up the same question and I posed it to the audience. I, and I said, come on, people, raise your hands. Explain, give me a definition. What is traffic? What is website? hundred people in a room, not one person could adequately define either one of those terms. Yeah, we hear traffic to your website, traffic to your website, traffic to your website. So I urge folks to focus instead on getting visitors to your web pages who conform with the three P's of website conversions, pre-qualified, prepped, and pumped. And I bring that up because it sounds a lot like what you described. Yeah, um, I definitely agree. I love how you said visitors because that's who you want. You don't want just somebody or not even like a, a bot just clicking, clicking, clicking and you know, detecting this, this high percentage of traffic that you see 
um, then that can change your whole experience right on your site. So if you have a specific landing page that you're driving traffic to and a bot goes crazy, which has happened, right? Like we see that sometimes. Then the question is, oh, why didn't these people convert? They're not people. It's just a bot. And um, or, you know, maybe we're getting someone or multiple people to continue to click through. Um, I think it really is important to make sure you're looking at the visitor. Um, and that's why I think, you know, the evolution with affiliate marketing and what I love um, from my learning in-house at HSN as well is just uh, really studying the customer, the, the type of person that is coming to your site. Um, and I think we need to do a better job of that overall in digital marketing, not just affiliate. Um, but at the end of the day, we're all human <laughs> and we're really trying to, you know, I think COVID and the pandemic, everything taught us a lot um, over the last couple of years with how e-commerce just significantly uh, grew overnight. Um, but, you know, people want a specific experience. And I think what I love about affiliate marketing is you can have that experience, that personalized experience with the type of partner that you're interested in, whether it's a you know, a content partner or a blogger you follow or an influencer because you really like their content um, and you feel comfortable that, you know, she's saying like, I really trust this product. I love this product. I'm going to click on this link and buy from her. You don't even necessarily realize she might be getting commission from that product. Or you might want to go through a loyalty partner because, you know, instead of joining individual loyalty programs, you want to work with one loyalty uh, affiliate partner that works with thousands of brands. And then you could get cash back or points or rewards. So you're going to get money back for, for some of your purchases or incentivize somehow. Um, so I think that's that's changed a lot. Um, and the partners that are successful that we work with are thinking about the customer um, and are really starting to study or they have been, but they're really looking at the type of customer that they're, they're bringing in. You know, and now we're seeing a huge shift with Gen Z coming in. And I think it's fascinating because they've had devices their entire lives. So yeah. they're they're a lot smarter <laughs> than a lot of us are. Um, and they're going to be pickier about the type of uh, partners they engage with. Um, and I think, you know, that's going to be really eye-opening. Um, we were just talking about that last week internally about Gen Z and, you know, mobile is, is much bigger than we expected over Cyber Weekend. I think it was over 50% of, of e-commerce sales. Um, and if you think about it, I think we're just seeing the shift now where Gen Z is coming of age where, you know, they have the income, they're really becoming really critical parts of these, you know, these brands, um, but they're very different and they're very unique with how they interact. Um, so I think that's going to be a big change in the next two years, especially. You know, it's, in it's interesting. And I brought this up on several episodes as well. I, I was born in 1976, so I'm right at the end of... Uh, of Gen X. Uh, so I'm basically a millennial just a couple years ahead. Mm -hmm. Now, what makes my generation and all the younger ones beyond it unique as compared to the earlier Gen Xers, the boomers, etc., is we were the first generation to have consistent access to high-speed internet at the point when the internet actually became a valuable source of information. Therefore, we had the ability to gather the information, the data, and build the support networks that allowed us to challenge the cycles, the patterns, the status quo, the that's how we've always done it. 
which is part of the reason why we've seen, in my view, so much dis- disruption in our society and our culture, especially over the past 10 years. And, you know, you hear about these so-called lazy millennials. You, you, you hear that all the time, you know, well, you know, these millennials in a workplace. Well, at this point, from your millennials downward, and I, when I say downward, I mean younger, they are the absolute majority of employees in workplaces. They're the absolute majority mm-hmm. of leaders in the entrepreneurial space. The median age in the United States is 38.5 years. That means right that means right in millennial territory. So it's not a matter of whether you can dismiss millennials anymore and it's not that they're not hard working, it's not that they don't care about their jobs or their careers or their businesses. When it really comes down to and this has been my experience with so many millennials, so many Gen Zers, so many Gen Yers, et cetera, is they simply want to feel like the work that they do, the stuff that they create is beneficial and makes a positive difference. They want to note the effort and the investment they put in gets a full return and that it betters society and it betters the world by their opportunity to be part of it. That's it. Nothing more, nothing less. And Beyond that, they just recognize because of information that the idea of working nine to five Monday through Friday in industries and disciplines that don't require shift work is a vestige of the industrial revolution, which we've long since passed. Yeah, I definitely agree. And I think uh, you hit the nail on the head with the age too, because I think the other things that you know we've been working on a lot here internally too is uh, there's a big age difference between the older millennials and the younger millennials, right? Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm considered, I guess, kind of like you, Xennials or whatever they call where it's like the between Gen X and millennial. Yeah, I'm, um, I'm, I'm basically millennial just a couple years older, which means I got my internet in college. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, same. I mean, I'm early 80s. So yeah, yeah I'm right there. Um, and I think but you got to think about my, you know, life is very different than a younger millennials life right now. Like I have, you know, a 10 and 12 year old and, you know, I just have uh, different priorities, you know, different when you're talking about online shopping, there's different things that I'm browsing on the internet and there's different things that I want right now versus somebody 10 years younger than me. Um, so I think we have the information. And again, this goes back to really being, really making sure that you're finding, you know, that qualified, um, you know, type of, of person that you want shopping with you or, you know, coming on to, to buy your service or whatever it is. Um, and I think, uh, you know, CRM teams or, you know, customer relationship marketing teams are really, um, going to have their plates full over this next couple of years, because I think that's what we're going to have to look at instead of grouping the generation. It's almost like we have to group them at five years, right? Like the older millennials, mid millennials, younger millennials, Gen X, or, or excuse me, Gen Z, um, because it's so different. Um, and we can make assumptions. Obviously, not everybody's going to be in the same path. Um, but I do think it's important overall from a marketing perspective, you're spending $100,000 on a campaign. You want to make sure that yields to something um, and you want to yeah. make sure that you're getting that customer that you wanted. You don't want it to just go out and, and just hope, you know, you get it back. Um, 
And I think if you're smart about it, that's where you can really find the right partner or partners, plural, um, to spend that money and, you know, get that type of customer for you. Yeah. Other societal changes as well. Uh, when this is something that I pointed out in a number of episodes lately is our population in general. And I think, and I'll explain for a moment in a moment why this comes back to the whole affiliate thing is more mobile than we've seen in several generations. I mean, I'm old enough to remember when uh, folks tried to fill my head with this dream that I would uh, find that I would uh, maybe go off to college, but then I'd come back to that same town I grew up in and I'd buy a house that was probably owned by a relative and I'd marry some local girl and I'd have my two and I'd have my uh, 2.2 kids, 1.3 minivans and the, uh, and the white picket fence. Well, that is the quote unquote ideal went away right around the time I reached adulthood. And where we are today is we have a population is actually more mobile and less likely to stay in one place. This is why you see so many renters as opposed to owners. Yeah, part of it has to do with investors buying up houses to, to turn them into rental properties. That's a piece of it. But that doesn't exist in a vacuum. That was, to a significant degree, a response to demand. People tend to move around a lot. They tend to keep their options open. Uh, most, I mean, I have friends who have owned houses, and I can tell you stories about how they missed out on job opportunities, how they've lost tens, even hundreds of thousands of dollars being stuck in a house they couldn't sell. Uh, and what goes along with that, with that portability, is we see some of the principles of essentialism and minimalism becoming more and more, I don't know if I want to use the word prevalent, but at least more prominent. We tend to invest in experiences more than we invest in things. Just the other day, I posted on my social media asking if you're part of some sort of holiday gift exchange, have you thought about the possibility that the person you're exchanging gifts with would rather just have the money you were going to spend on them anyways so they can do their own thing? And I gave a whole list of reasons why that's the case. So translate this to affiliate marketing, and it leads actually to a question which is, what do affiliates want to get out of it? Is it just getting paid or is there something else to it? So, yeah, I mean, obviously they, they want to get paid. They want to get the commission. Um, but I think they have to work a little bit harder because they're not going to get paid until that user is ready to convert and they get the, the credit on the CPA. Um, but they also want to have a relationship with brands. So what we are seeing is, um, you know, a lot of partners want brands to know who they are, uh, that could lead to potentially getting, you know, some product where they could, you know, get the product shipped to them, they could review the product, and then they could write about it. Um, they want to get the content first or exclusives, um, not just exclusive discounts, but it could be, you know, um, we have a new product launch and we want to tell you about it first before we tell everyone else about it. Um, so there is kind of that, uh, I guess you can say, loyalty that comes with partners and the brands that they work with. Um, so that's something I think we're going to continue to see more with the marriage with like influencer and um, social media coming into the affiliate space. Um, but yeah, I think overall, um, we want to make sure, you know, depending on the type of partner, we want to make sure there's a partner for everyone. So you brought up a really good point where, uh, you know, 
people really value experiences, will they also value, you know, uh, charities or, you know, other type of, of ways they can give back. So we actually work with affiliate partners where you could make a purchase and a percentage of that goes back to a charity of your choice, which is really cool if you think about it. So, you know, you're buying uh, potentially a gift for your, your niece um, and a percentage of that is going to go back to a charity uh, that you chose. Um, so I think that's what makes the experience, the shopping experience, um, a little bit more interesting than it was a few years ago. And you're still going to get people that are just going to go to Amazon and make a direct purchase. Um, yeah. I don't think that's going to change because the convenience factor is there. Um, but I also think there's something about exploring and having more of an understanding of what you're you're buying, um, whether it is an experience like a vacation or uh, a restaurant that you want to try out. Where do you go? Like, you know, I know I look at Yelp or different reviews when I'm looking at a, a restaurant in a new area that I want to check out. So I think people are much more engaged um, when there's more content, uh, more reviews that they can trust that's coming from actual users and not just the brand itself. Like, I want to make sure that this is <laughs> this is really good food that I'm, you know, going to make a reservation for and spend money yep. on. Um, so you know, overall, I think partners know that uh, customers or users, whatever you want to call them, they want everything. Um, and I think it's just finding that balance and making sure that they still obviously have a profitable business and they can do what they need to do. But uh, again, that's where that relationship piece comes in, making sure that you have relationships uh, with a lot of these brands and you can kind of talk about what you both want to get out of it. Well. As I like to say, cars, computers, couches, and clothes. Four things that I do not buy sight unseen. But even with that being said, I'm open to the possibility that I might see it and then look online to see if I can get a better deal on it. Yeah. And I think we're seeing I think we're seeing a lot of that in society too. I I mean I'm familiar with people who don't even go clothes shopping anymore. They just go online and then they order stuff saying, Oh, well, if I don't like it, I'll just return it. But what I also know is I recently spent over a thousand dollars on a personal branding exercise that involved levels of measurement of my physique that I didn't even know existed. Uh there's a certain type of thing that fits me. And I also have uh, branding colors and color swatches and things like that that I take with me when I go into clothing stores. I can't get that perspective by looking at a picture on a website. It just doesn't exist. Yeah, I a, think... a couch, I got to sit on it. A car, I have to drive it because a car to me has to feel a certain mm -hmm. way or I'm just not buying it. Yeah, I agree. I think it's really interesting. And I think that's personal preference. Like we actually see a lot of success. We work with a lot of mattress brands and people are willing to buy mattresses online and not test it. But a lot of that goes into reviews. So we work with review sites and they want to read all the reviews, uh, what people are talking about, uh, making sure that, you know, it's somebody like them um, that's reviewing the mattress, for example. Um, I think also AI technology or being able to really look at like how a piece of furniture is going to look in your office or your living room um, can kind of help you make that decision. Um, but yeah. I also think with the supply chain issues that we've had over the last year, it's not as bad right now. Now we have an excess of inventory, but people had to be uh, scrappy and figure out ways that they could get different items. They just had to order it 
you know, online. Um, you brought up cars. I think it's interesting. Like my neighbor actually bought two of the same cars because it was back ordered. Um, and you know, now he's, he planned to give the second one or sell it to his daughter, but it was really interesting that people were making these exceptions because they weren't able to get the product when they wanted to. Um, so I think in the last year, we probably have learned a lot in the business, uh, just, just overall with inventory issues. And that's something too, that we're working with a lot of our brands on is just excess inventory and really being able to work with our partners to try to liquidate inventory for some of our brands because they're just sitting on it. Um, and it's kind of getting people back to that, that possibility that they're willing to, to buy it online and not necessarily go in store. Well, let's, uh, let's also look at reviews. And I've shared this in my book, Groundhog Days, an event, not a business strategy, I believe. And I've also covered it in many episodes of this show and my other podcasts as well. When I look at reviews, let's say that it's a, um, let's say it's a, it's a one to five scale. I'm looking for, particularly if it's a brick and mortar business or it's a service-based business, I'm looking for them to have a score of something like 4.2 out of five. Here's the reason. If it's, if it's five out of five and they have a hundred reviews, I just don't believe it candidly. I think that they engage in some company that has um, a thousand people who have uh, burner Gmail addresses who are paid to write unique sounding reviews. I, uh, and, and here's the most important thing. I know that when you're dealing with a bricks and mortar, you're dealing with a service-based business. They're not perfect. They're human beings. They're going to occasionally screw up. And there's a chance that despite everybody's best intentions, my account might be the one that has the problems. So I want to see that they messed up, how they messed up, and how they dealt with it. Because I want to know that if my account turns out to be that one where things don't go perfectly, that I'm going to be well taken care of and covered on the back end. Yeah, that's, and impo I... that's, that's important information for me. Because, because, you know, because what happens is if somebody leaves a negative review and then the company fixes it, uh, they, the original reviewer may not change their star rating, but they may put a reply to the comment that says, yes, thank you so much for fixing this for me. Yeah, I was just going to say that I think it's really important with the review sites that um, companies are involved and they are actually following up and answering questions because, uh, you make a really good point. Someone can still accidentally have like two out of five stars, but then they see the response and you could see, oh, you know, there's a miscommunication or they, they resolved this issue. Um, they probably would have earned like a four out of five, um, as opposed to the two out of five. Um, yeah. but I do, I think that's, it's really interesting. And yeah, I, I'm seeing that a lot more, um, more and more companies are becoming, I'm seeing that a lot with travel, actually. I think it's really interesting. Over the last year, I've noticed a major uptick in just like hotels responding to reviews, um, just apologizing for renovations and then saying like, you know, we're really sorry that you had a bad experience and please reach out to us. Um, I think that's something that's gonna continue to be important because again, it goes back to, the the customer journey and you know we see on average it takes like what seven eight sometimes more touch points before they they make whether it's a purchase or they make a decision on something so we know that they're browsing and they're they're going back and forth to different uh sites um so it's really important that they don't have a negative experience because that could lead to them going to a competitor right and the other thing that's uh and i think and this is part of what makes affiliate marketing so powerful 
is the sleeper effect, that people tend to believe things when somebody else says it. I found that I have sold more copies of my book when I've had other people promote it than when I promote it myself. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I've worked with companies that have affiliate programs. Uh, in one case, I was an affiliate of a, pro- of a program, and, uh, and uh, this is actually one of my clients. They know who they are. They know the whole story, so I'm just going to come out and say it without mentioning the name. I was an affiliate of their program, in addition to them being my client and them being my client, but uh, they would never want to pay on my referrals. And what it came down to is every time I made a sale, it's like, all right, finally I made a sale. And it's say, no, nope, I'm not going to give you that one because uh, that person who bought has been a friend of mine for 10 years. I'm thinking, I closed. It doesn't matter. They're a friend of mine for 10 years. So I make another sale. And they say, yeah, met them at a GKIC conference in 2006. Not yours. Sorry. And then I, so I turned around to this person. I said, okay, do you even want to run an affiliate program? And it turned out they didn't. Yeah. That's what it really come down to. They just didn't want to run an affiliate program. So I advised them to shut down their affiliate program, which they did. Now, in the meantime... This person I'm referring to is actually one of my best referral partners for my business because uh, he and I made a mutual agreement just between me and him that we would just simply not exchange commissions between me and him. We would just support mm-hmm. each other. We would just support each other, send each other our best and take good care of each other's referrals. And uh, and we viewed that as we would just mutually buoy each other's ships and, ra- and, uh, and raise the tide. And, that, and, that's, that, that, and that works in certain situations. Now, the realization that this person had, because they recently started a new affiliate program, but under different parameters and different terms, was they got they came to understand the importance and the power of the sleeper effect. Uh, in fact, uh, they recently did a promotion, uh, and of all the sales they made, they did a they did basically a house launch with a few affiliates involved. The one affiliate referral was one of their current clients referring one of their previous clients back to them mm-hmm. and i and when that sale and then when that sale came in and i got notified i said you're paying this remember you're paying this yes yeah. i know that this is your previous customer coming back but your current customer was the one that had the conversation with them and closed the deal they earned it and he's on board with it so why i bring that up is it is that sleeper effect, the idea that when somebody else says it has more impact, why we look at reviews more than we may look at even what the business says about itself. It's just that matter of social proof. Now, we're about three-fourths of the way into this, so I really want to get to this fraud part because I wanted to because uh, I, I think there's a few ways we can look at fraud. So let's start with the obvious, uh, and this is something that I thought of when you first came to me asking to be on my show is affiliates who misrepresent what they're promoting. How do you deal with that? Yeah, so it happens, unfortunately. Um, I think one of the benefits of working uh, at an agency where, you know, we're a global agency, we have people on the ground um, all over the world. Um, we can actually uh, test different partners and then we can share when a partner is not like a good partner, for example, fraudulent and misrepresenting yeah. the brand. So we can proactively get ahead of that um, for other clients in a similar vertical or just overall like, hey, you know, this happened with this client or excuse me, this happened with this this partner. 
um, you know, we rectified it, but we don't recommend that, that you work with this partner anymore. Um, so we, we do that a lot. Um, and I think that really helps when you work with, uh, you know, a bigger type of agency that can kind of get ahead of those uh, partners. Um, but also it's, it's really about, that's why we have terms and conditions with all of our affiliate marketing agreements. So we have very clear rules with how you have to represent the brand and what you can and can't do. And when you break those rules, then you potentially could lose your commission. And that's why a lot of our programs, you know, we have what's called locking period. So we don't have to pay the commission out right away. Uh, we have like a hold where we can evaluate the traffic and evaluate, um, you know, the sales that came through. And then if we see anything uh, that's fraudulent, we have uh, processes in place to make sure that they are really fraudulent, then we can reverse those out. Um, so, you know, it's not like other programs, um, you know, you'd look at Google or Meta where, you know, you're just paying a CPC or a CPM um, and you don't really have the benefit of, you know, was that fraudulent or, you know, did, should I have, should I be paying them out for that? Or like what you saw over, what was it, Cyber Weekend, where I thought, um, you know, some of these companies, their their programs shut down and they couldn't see, they didn't have any visibility into the type of traffic or sales that they were getting. Um, so with affiliate, I think it's nice because you have a little bit of a window to look at that. So then what we do with those partners is we also report them to the network. So we could tell the network like, hey, this partner did X, Y, Z, um, and we want to make sure we flag that to you. Um, so then they can go in, they have their own fraud departments, and they can go in and make sure they almost block that partner uh, from reapplying. Now, it's not perfect, because they can come up with something else. Um, they've, you know, some of these fraudulent partners have have ways of getting around it. But I would say that's helped a lot, um, working closely with the networks and making sure that they're blocking those partners as well, because it's a bad experience for everyone when that happens. Um, so like I said, we have rules in place to make sure that we can get ahead of it. Uh, sometimes they'll slip through, but for the most part, um, I would say, you know, we catch everything, if not immediately within that window. So what are, I mean, when we hear the term affiliate fraud, what are some examples of it? Yeah, so let's use an example of a of a paywall, for example. So we have some affiliate partners that maybe aren't on like a traditional like retail model where you're getting paid commission after a sale is made. Um, so we have some partners where, you know, we want to generate leads for a client. Um, maybe it's for a service, maybe it's for maybe it's for a product um, or a quiz or something where that's where we can actually see um, partners set up these bots or uh, different ways where they can drive up the paywall so that then it looks like they're getting paid out a lot more money on those leads. Um, so then we need to block that and, and, and stop it. Um, one of the things that we usually do when we're testing a new client is we can put a cap in place uh, with some of our network partners for leads. So we could say, we want to cap our lead payouts to $2,000. Again, I'm just making that up. We're only going to spend $2,000 with this partner max. And then that way, if they drive that $2,000, say we're paying them $2 lead, and they already hit that within the first day, it's cut off, like they're done, they can't get paid anything else. And then we can evaluate the type of traffic that they drove and the type of leads. And then we can evaluate, do we want to continue to work with this partner? Or do we want to, you know, not work with them anymore? 
So we have the ability to do some tests, like test budgets, which I think is been really helpful. And this really happened over the last, you know, couple of years, especially with the SAS uh, networks, so, you know, the platforms that we work with. Um, so that's been, that's been a big game changer for us. And then you also have like a reseller issue, which is another fraudulent thing that we see. So uh, what, what's, see, the, what's this reseller issue? So the reseller issue is like loyalty partners where you're getting cash back on purchases. You might have someone come in and say, I'm going to buy a hundred let's just say of, of a specific toy, and then I'm going to resell it, say on like a, a marketplace. Well, they're going to get cash back for those items. Say the cash back rate was 10%. So they're going to say, I'm going to spend, you know, a thousand dollars and I'm going to get a hundred dollars cash back. So the brand's going to lose that money in commissions. And then they're going to go back and they're going to try to resell those items on a marketplace, um, which they're not allowed to do. Um, so that's another issue that we can we can see. So another uh, process we have in place is we look at order volumes. So if we see, um, you know, uh, we can see in our tools, like if uh, there's like trying to think of the right words because of the privacy, the PII over the last couple of years, there's like ways you can't look at the actual IP address, but you can identify that this is coming from that, you know, it's like a encrypted IP address. Let's put it that way. And you could see that you're getting a thousand orders from the same computer. Um, then you can kind of flag that and you can reverse that out and say, no, you're not getting paid commission on this. So now you're, I mean, you have the items, but you're not going to get any cash back for those items that you bought that you're just going to resell anyway. Um, so that's another issue that sometimes we can see, especially for a more traditional retail program. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, I, and you know, there's only so much that can be done about something else that I see, which is where affiliates, uh, people who want to buy something, essentially sign up as an affiliate of it and then buy it to get their own money back. Mm -hmm. And the obvious way around that is to like, let's say I wanted to, let's say I wanted to buy something that was nine, let's say it was 1997, $1,997. They were paying 50% commission. I might come to you and I may say, uh, Hey Kelly, could you sign up as an affiliate for this? And, uh, I'll split the commission with you. I'll buy it through you. Yeah, I mean that can also happen. Um, I mean, that... you, you can't always stop it. No, uh, you but, can't uh, stop it. I mean, it's it's slimy, but does it really rise to the level of fraud? Is my question. No, we don't see that too much because I think they're they're usually going to be smaller partners where they're not going to like it's going to be kind of a drop in the bucket for some of our yeah. programs, right? So if it happens, unfortunately, it can happen. Um, but they might. One thing that we might see is they might only have one sale uh, for three month period, and then they're considered lapsed, and we might actually just boot them out of the program anyway. Um, because yeah. like, well, you're not active anymore. Um, so it's really kind of finding, you know, that that ninety five percent that's driving the volume um, that's going to really impact our client. But it stinks when that happens. It it makes me really mad um, being in this space because. There's so many benefits to affiliate marketing. I could talk all day about the type of customer we see. Yep. Um, and I think, you know, people are always going to try to beat the system. I'll never forget. Um, do you remember Farmville on Facebook? Yes. <laughs> it seems yes. Like... I, 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 remember, I remember getting out of it and letting my <laughs> yeah. farm die. <laughs> yeah. So 
when I was in-house at HSN, we actually tested with a partner um, that gave, like, if you made a purchase, you got the farm bill credits, which I forget what they're called now, yeah. uh, but you got them immediately. So I, you know, I thought this was a great opportunity, especially with our customer base, because they love games and everything. Um, and I'll never forget, we onboarded them. It was like a Thursday or Friday, coming to work on Monday. And they're like, a, I think they were number one or number two partner, right, for the weekend. I said, oh my God, what happened? Um, then I look and it, all these people learned to like game the system and they were all going in and making purchases online to get their farm bill credits. But then they were immediately canceling their order. But the partner was paying out the credits before the order even shipped out. So then I had yeah. an issue because now I had all these orders that were getting canceled. My cancellation rate was ridiculous. It was like, uh -huh. I don't know, past 50%, like major red flags. So we immediately stopped working with the partner and we were able to you know, resolve that. But um, I think that kind of goes back to people are going to learn the game, the system. Um, and then the issue is too, what you have to watch for is the user generated forums, right? Where they talk about it, where they're like, oh, did you know this coupon code? If you do this you'll get, you know, extra 10% off. We've seen that too. So you also have to monitor um, some of these user-generated forums too, because uh, they're going to share like some of these tips and tricks to get an extra discount. So that's another yeah. thing we have to watch for is like, if a coupon goes viral, why did it go viral? Um, more viral than we expected. And then we yeah. find out, oh, it's because it was giving out 20% off multiple times a day. It was only supposed to be a one-time code, but people figured out and cracked the code to be able to get it multiple times. Yeah. So mm -hmm. that happens too. Um, and again, it kind of goes back to, that's why the terms and conditions, which is the contractual agreement between uh, you know, the client, the brand, and the partner, that's why it's so important that you have somebody from the brand side, usually it's their legal teams that evaluate these terms and conditions. And then us as an agency or whoever's managing the program, making sure you have an understanding of the rules um, that you can you know, go back to them and say, nope, <laughs> you broke the rules, you can't do this. Uh, so yep. we're not gonna work with you anymore. See you later. Right, so so what I, where, you, where this is ending up is the importance is in some ways, the legalities that give you the foundation to take yeah. care of business when you need to. So the terms and conditions are key where yes. you make them sign off that they understand and accept the terms and conditions. If they didn't read it, it's on them. I mean, you sign a document, you're affirming you read it and understood it. If you didn't, that's your problem. So if somebody decides to play, you know, play games with your affiliate program, you can just cite the terms and conditions and kick them and refuse to pay them. Yeah. And I think that's also the scary, not scary thing, but like with the creator market, right? Like with influencers becoming so big and they're, you uh -huh. know, working and these brands potentially just going direct with creators without having any type of rules in place, without having terms and conditions in place. Um, like, it's great. You want to work with this influencer because they have, you know, tens of thousands of, of you know, views or whatever it is, uh, the KPIs you have in place. Um, but at the end of the day, if you don't have these rules in place, like they can go do what they want and talk about your brand. And it's one thing to talk, you know, organically about a brand and give an accurate review, but it's another thing to do things like have a coupon go viral that you didn't want to go viral. Exa um, exactly. Things like, like that. Yeah. That really like, impact the profitability of your program. Yeah. Right, 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 right. So that, yeah. So the coupon is applicable to one person. I, I mean, uh, we have just about a minute or two left here before we uh, extend your invitation to my audience, but I wanted to share just 
one thing. Years and years and years and years ago, um, uh, a, a colleague of mine was an affiliate for, oh, this can be a blast in the past, one shopping cart. And uh, I was working with him and I managed a program he had where when somebody signed up for one shopping cart through his private label, we would do basic setup for them. And that consisted of three things. Uh, answer their authorized API code so that the credit card thing would work and then make a $5 purchase to verify it. Uh, set up one product and connect it to one autoresponder. Well, he got somebody who uh, signed up as an affiliate of his private label. We found out they had a website up saying, my, com- my webmaster will do a complete setup of your entire shopping carts and listed all these things that I never in a million years would have done. And uh, we we had to tell him to take it down at once, sir. We would uh, take away his affiliate link. Mm-hmm. See, people will play games like that. Uh, another thing, you know, we mentioned the thing where you know I may come to you and say, "Hey, I want to I want to buy this two thousand dollar product. They're paying fifty percent commission. How about you sign up as an affiliate? I'll buy through you, and each of us will take five hundred. We know the fact is people are going to do that stuff, but you raised the point. It's like I set up the pins and you rolled the strike. Uh, those types of affiliates will only refer one sale and that's themselves because they're just yep. in it for themselves. So right. what you have to look at is you're going to get a few of those, but there aren't the, but there, there are a few people like that who will be ethically gray area. You just have to eat it to a degree and you have to look at it this way. That's a thousand dollars net that you didn't have before. Correct. So you, so if you, if you suspect they're that type of affiliate, just let them make that one sale and then wait a few weeks and then kick them. They won't even notice you kicked them from the program because they already got theirs. Yep. And if you met, and if you offer another $2,000 thing, uh, they'll notice their affiliate link doesn't work. They'll ask to have it reactivated. And then you just say, yeah, last time you signed up for my program and uh, you had Kelly sign up for your, your my program and you bought through her and then you split the commission with her. You think we didn't know that? You yeah. got away with it once. You're not. We're not letting you do it again. So, yeah. so again, it goes back to terms and conditions. And mm-hmm. this and this also goes back to don't pay more on referrals than you can afford to. If you're if you're offering human rendered services, you can't be paying 50% unless you're charging uh, two arms and three legs to begin with. On a yeah. digital product served through a membership site, you can do 50%. But on human mm-hmm. rendered services, uh, I mean, like, for example, um, uh, one of the top podcast booking agencies in the entrepreneurial space, I won't manage mention um, interview connections by name, but I believe their commission rate, um, and I'll defer if they uh, call in and correct me on this, because sometimes they listen to us. I think it's something like 5% on their elite booking program. And that makes sense because the level of booking they do, and this is why I recommend their booking agency, uh, is because it is so intense and has so much human work involved in developing, nurturing the relationships, making sure all the connections happen, making sure all the interviews take place and get published and promoted that, I mean, and it's such a high ticket offer, 5% of it is actually a pretty good payday. But you got to be realistic about that. And if you're running an affiliate program, you got to know that uh, if once in a while somebody runs a game and takes you on it, you still got yours. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And that we didn't talk about that, but the commission rates are different. Every program that we manage has a different commission structure. Yeah. And it's it's you know custom to that brand and it's custom to their goals 
Um, and I, I definitely agree. You're paying 50% commission. You have to have a reason for paying 50% commission. Um, but yeah, I think it really just depends on what you want to get out of it. But it's still, I mean, we still find that affiliate tends to be one of the most profitable programs for a lot of our clients, which I which I love. Um, like yeah. I said earlier, I'm really big into data and numbers and you know, the numbers don't lie. Affiliate is a very profitable channel. It drives some of the best customers, not just new customers, but customers that are going to keep coming back and buying from you. Um, those are the type of customers that you want. Um, they're not yeah. one and done. Um, so I think there's, you know, there's a lot more there in, in affiliate marketing. Yeah. Like for, like, for example, my podcast reach program for our elite podcast launch levels, um, our rates 5%. Now that's a high ticket item. So 5% of that uh, for having a conversation with somebody is a pretty decent pay payday. Yeah. But the fact, but the fact is I have a whole team that backs me up on getting, doing these launches. Uh, yeah. We acquire things on behalf of our clients and, and uh, I do some of the physical labor. So I have to get paid as an employee doing part of the work and I got a profit on the back end too. So what I did is I adjusted the prices to reflect the, the market rate for what we offer and then adjusted the offering to match what the market would bear in return and then figured out where 5% is. Yep. Now, and I mean, I'm not going to say the numbers because they keep going up, but uh, I can tell you that 5% of a referral for an elite level podcast reach package is pretty good money for having a conversation. Yeah. No, that and, definitely. Uh, yeah, and we do have people who work on our behalf on this. So, uh, and again, sometimes we've also seen, I think it's a place to wrap up here with um, many affiliate programs, you know, the whole thing about you have a hundred, you have a hundred affiliates and one delivers 100% of the referrals. That's always going to be a fact of life. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. 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 So for anybody who is, uh, who has been looking for that unicorn of an affiliate manager who actually understands the ins and outs and the realities of building the relationships that generate mutually profitable relationships with referral partners who will send you the right referrals, the right visitors to your web pages, um, who will buy your stuff and will behave so ethically, you really should consider acceleration partners. I've been looking for this unicorn to be able to refer to people for years. And I think I finally found one. One of the reasons we we had Kelly on. You go to www.accelerationpartners.com and uh, then go to the contact page. And when you reach out and you fill out their little form, uh, in the additional details, just mention that you heard Kelly Ground's interview on the Business Creators Radio Show. I don't know what you get for that, but please do it so that we all that we all recognize. I myself am not an affiliate of Acceleration Partners. I'm getting no uh, commission and no payment for this. So this is just me saying, here's a great resource, check it out. But do mention our name because I do want Kelly to get the credit for the time that she took to spend with us today to educate us about the affiliate marketing industry, some of the things to avoid and some of the things to do. So with that, Kelly Ground, thank you so much for being with us today. It's been an honor and believe me in education. We trust you enjoyed today's episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. Check out our previous and upcoming episodes on our website at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. While you're there, be sure to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. Until next time, have a great day. Take care.